Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today we'll get reaction from Governor Phil Murphy on Tuesday's election results in the Garden State, where Democrats remained in control of the state legislature. I think probably the big one was not is not far from here, the 11th district, and it was not just that Bingo Powell successfully defended his Senate seat, uh, but he brought two. Uh, assembly members along with him. It's episode one of our new monthly feature on the WBGO Journal, Inside Newark, with Council President LaMonica McIver. If I didn't, um, at the time, have a great teacher at 13, really at 10, um, I would not have known anything about civic engagement. And I'll chat with legendary guitarist Lee Rittenauer about the upcoming NJ Pack concert, Dave Grusin, A Life in Music. He's more comfortable on stage than he ever was. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. After Tuesday's election, Democrats remained in control of the state legislature in Trenton. And on our call-in show, Ask Governor Murphy, host Nancy Solomon got some reaction to the results from Governor Phil Murphy. So let's talk about the key races and um, that helped Democrats keep the majority in both the Senate and expand its majority in the Assembly. Uh, what are the races that uh, you think are key? Yeah, I mean, I've, let me just say, as a general matter, it was overwhelmingly a good night, and it, and it feels good because it validates the work that we've been doing in our administration with the legislature. That folks sort of rejected the culture warrior stuff and focused on the facts, the kitchen table stuff like affordability. Uh, and folks clearly still care a whole lot uh, about reproductive freedom and abortion rights. Those, those are some of the takeaways I'd have, but incredibly proud to stand with our legislators and candidates who won yesterday. I'd go from the south to the north. Getting three back was a huge one, and it looks like reproductive freedom was a big element of that race. So you're talking about Ed Durr and, and the two and assembly Correct. People correct against John Bersicelli. Uh, and let's remind folks, I mean, Ed Durr really I made national headlines two years ago he when he beat Senate President Steve Sweeney, the most powerful legislator in the state. Um, and he, of course, is famously uh, a truck driver who had no uh, campaign cash, no name recognition, and uh, took down the giant. So this this was, everybody was watching. This, this was race. a big one to get back and uh, and John Bersicelli was a distinguished mayor and assemblyman before this. He's now going to be a senator. He and his colleagues, I think, ran a great – I'd say this about the entirety of the map, and this certainly applies to John and his colleagues. They ran a very disciplined, well-strategically thought through, tactically thought, thought through. So getting three back is a big one. Holding four, where you had Senator Fred Madden retiring and Assemblyman Paul Moriarty stepping up to run as the Senate candidate with two fresh faces in the Assembly. So holding that was important. I think probably the big one was not, is not far from here, the 11th District. And it was not just that Bingo Powell successfully defended his Senate seat, uh, but he brought two uh, assembly members along with him, two folks that I know quite well for many years, Margie Donilon and Luann Peterpaul, eminently qualified. But I think the margin, Nancy, of that victory, especially by Vin, which was plus or minus, as I recall, 20 points, really was a thundering statement, uh, is a race that maybe best embodied a couple of things. I mentioned the pushback on the cultural warfare 
claiming that we didn't care about parents' input in public education when, in fact, how do you get to be the number one public education system in America and, and not care about parents? And I think people saw through that. I think they saw through the the myths around offshore wind, which we should talk about at some point. I think when you've had, in, in during our administration, working with VIN and other legislators, 20 separate tax cuts for the middle class and seniors, including historic tax relief, especially for seniors, I think folks say, you know what, let's focus on what the facts are. And again, reproductive freedom. You can hear the entire Ask Governor Murphy program at WBGO.org. The WBGO Journal begins a new monthly segment today, Inside Newark, with Council President LaMonica McIver. Great to see you, LaMonica, and welcome to the team here at WBGO News. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Doug. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, we're looking forward to once a month, you'll be giving us your thoughts on some of the critical, interesting, and maybe some of the issues that you don't hear about often when it comes to the City of Newark projects that you might never hear about. Well, we just had election day in New Jersey. Council President McIver was the youngest woman ever elected to the Newark City Council back in 2018, and she's been the council president for more than a year now. My first question to you is, during this political landscape and climate of 2023, why would anyone want to be in elected office? I don't know, Doug. <laughs> That's a great question. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, but I mean, definitely we want to encourage people to, you know, be a part of the leadership process and be a part of elections and, you know, be a part of, of, of elected position. We need more young people specifically and more women um, involved in the process. So, I mean, definitely has to be a personal, passionate commitment, uh, but definitely judging off of the, some of the role models we have here that are before us rather it's at federal level um, or state level. I mean, we don't have the best. We haven't seen the best of the best, I would say, in, in certain positions um, this cycle. You know, for you, that passion began at the age of, really maybe before, but really at the age of 13, you started mobilizing youth and underscoring the power of civic participation, your early immersion and combined with your academic achievements, an English literature degree from Bloomfield College and a a master's in educational leadership and policy from Seton Hall University really set you on a path. Let's go back to that 13-year-old and wanting to be a part of civic engagement. We know that the world today needs more civic engagement, doesn't it? Absolutely. And if I didn't um, at the time have a great teacher at 13, really at 10, um, I would not have known anything about civic engagement, about running for office or elections or what that even means, period. Um, so I think having someone teach us that at a young age kind of inspired me to want to get involved in politics. Um, so, you know, we need more of that. I just had a 
group of seniors and juniors here in my office for my uh, program called Council Member of the Day. And I asked them what was the best part about like, you know, uh, government for them, politics. I mean, and many of them did not even know, you know, what was going on in politics. I mean, they might have known who the president was, but I mean, talking about other, you know, things on a local level with politics, they really were removed. And that's a problem. We have to educate our young people a little more on the civic engagement and civic duties that they are responsible for and will be responsible for um, once they turn 18. Yeah, that's so important to, to build that base, right? Because... You know, I've I've had many college classes and I've talked to students and I don't see that engagement as much as you would like to see, especially when you start talking about, you know, certain issues and and you have to plant that seed early. For you, it happened. Who gets the credit for that? Definitely all of the credit goes to our great mayor, Mayor Raj J. Baraka, who was a young 20-something-year-old teacher who taught us English literature. He was our language arts literature teacher. And um, at the time, he was running for council member at large. And many of us were like, what's that? Like, what are you doing? Like, what, what does that even mean? We, we really had no idea, you know, what that meant. And he explained to us, like, the process. He talked about his campaign office and the campaign itself. And at the time I was very disruptive. Like I was a very disruptive kid. And I was like, oh, I would love to, you know, know more about that. Like, you know, he told us we can come help pass out flyers. We can help with voter registration. And all those things were very interesting to me. So I went, I went to the campaign office. It was like a little hole in the wall. Um, and we went and me and some of my peers from the neighborhood, we started helping pass out flyers, talking with our, our adults in our community about voter registration. And even encouraging them to get out to vote on the days of election. So that really changed the scope of my civic engagement and just me loving my community and being involved in my community. And I went on to do that for a very, very long time. Hence the reason why I'm here now um, and all of the work that I put in behind the scenes and you know campaigning. It's interesting now that you're council president and he's mayor, he was your teacher. There's a, a trust level there. Tell us about a role of council president, because many people might not know. What's the difference between being just a regular councilwoman and a council president in Newark? So basically, the only difference is that, one, the council president kind of helps lead the council. Um, they definitely um, lead the council meetings. Um, they are basically the head chief officer of a council meeting and of the council. So the council president is helping to manage things among um, the our clerk, our clerical clerk office, our city clerk's office, um, making sure that things that council members need as a whole, we're you know making sure we get them, making sure that I advocate for them, um, being supportive and you know showing up for council for my other council member colleagues. Something that happens, but the main, I will say the main majority piece of it is making sure that we manage our council meetings, making sure that I manage our council meetings, um, in the business as the council as a whole. In Newark, we basically have nine independent bodies of council. I mean, because we have wards, some of our wards here in the city are bigger than municipalities throughout New Jersey. So, you know, you think about it like these council members are basically leaders of these many cities throughout the city of Newark. So it's very interesting, but we all, you know, really work together well. And I think that, you know, what they do is, is extremely important, but 
most of the time we have to come together collectively because policies and procedures and things impact us on a citywide perspective, not just a ward perspective. Um, and so that's kind of where I come in to help, you know, manage that and pull that piece together for, for us. Born and raised in the central ward. So as you walk and talk to people there, I would imagine there are people going, hey, I remember when LaMonica was that little girl running around in, in Newark. Was she mischievous? Was she was she a, was she a good student? What was LaMonica like? Well, I could say because Newark is so big, it's like on my block, yeah, I can go back to my old neighborhood and people remember LaMonica and they're like, whoa, I can't believe you're here. Most of them always say, I can't believe you're here right now. Like, I can't believe you made it from where you were, like what we knew you as, as a child to now. And definitely within my community, they can say that. I mean, me as a young child, I was very, very, um, I, I hate to use the term bad, but that's exactly what it was. I mean, definitely getting in trouble all the time. Um, I had got suspended from school so many times. My mom was like, I'm not even taking you back. Like, I'm not going to the parent-teacher conference. I'm not taking you back because all you're going to do is get suspended again this week. I think when I got to high school, I still was getting involved in, like, you know, things I shouldn't be getting involved in. Um, but at the same time, still working on the campaign and having positive role models because within our within, within Mayor Baraka's time of campaigning and running for office for 20 years before winning an actual um, a, a elected seat, there were a lot of great people like, you know, that helped me kind of get myself together and help guide me through the time. And, but, you know, if they think back to before, definitely I was not an angel. It really shows, you, you mentioned the word mentor and you mentioned how important teachers are, right? Because that one teacher can spark such a passion within a child to do anything. One of the things I did want to talk about today was there was a special ceremony that was held recently in the city of Newark. It was a street naming. It was 20 years ago that in the early morning hours of May 11th, 15-year-old Sakia Gunn and her friends were waiting for a bus on the corner of Broad and Market Streets when two men pulled up in a vehicle attempting to hit on the, the young ladies. And when the girls rebuffed their advances, Sakia, who was the leader of that group, pretty much the spokesman for, for the group, stepped in and said, we're not interested. We're lesbians. And a scuffle broke out, and Sakia was stabbed to death in the heart and bled in the arms of her best friend, Valencia Bailey, who was on hand for that ceremony. And the city of Newark formally honored the memory of Sakia Gunn with the street naming ceremony. You were there. Council President McIver, and you were on hand not only, but you were instrumental in making sure the spot where this took place. Tell us about why this was so important to you. I mean, it definitely was extremely important. I, I, I honestly couldn't believe, Doug, that it's been 20 years. I mean, it's it's crazy how time flies by. Um, I remember being a young person here in the city, of course, going to school at Central High School when Sakia was going to school at Westside. And I remember the incident happening and how it really sparked a transformation for us here in the city of Newark. Um, I think 
you know, definitely uh, those that have been advocating, you know, and, and working with the, uh, with the community um, of, of, around, you know, the different issues, you know, with that population have been working hard. But really during that time, it really sparked something where people started to come out. Folks were, you know, marching in the street. They were in front of City Hall. I mean, it was a whole movement. And I think her life needed to be remembered for that. Like we needed to do a job, a good job in the city um, to remember her life and everything she really meant to the city of Newark. And I think giving her this street dedication and honoring her in this way 20 years later, I mean, definitely way overdue, beyond way overdue, but at the same time, it needed to take place. I think that she sparked a real pivoted time um, that kind of got the LGBTQ community moving here in the city. Um, it really, you know, brought a lot of people out. A lot of things were created. A lot of different procedures and processes were put in place because of her death. Um, and I just want people to know that her, that she meant something. Her life meant something. It meant something to the city. And that's the reason why um, with, in, in collaboration with Exus County LGBTQ um, office, we kind of worked together to get this done. And, and I'm proud of this. I mean, we have to remember greats here in the city and what they like, what their lives meant to the city and what the lot the, how their life changed the city. Um, and, and hers definitely did. Here you have a black teen lesbian. I mean, there have been so many people who have talked about the the least coverage her death received and um just you know, how it wasn't populated and nationwide like other uh, deaths of members of the LGBTQ community. And then I think it speaks to like race, definitely it speaks to gender. Um, it speaks to some of the issues that we still face today. I mean, when we talk about um, Black girls missing and how it gets least coverage, but then if you have a Caucasian um, young woman that's missing, it's all over the world and news people are, are, are sharing on the platform. It just goes to the you know injustices that we have currently still today that we had 20 years ago um you know still so i mean it's it's very unfortunate and that's why this street dedication was even way more important you know to do we have to do what we need to do here at the local level despite what's happening nationally but it just it just speaks to the issues we have here in america what i'm hoping is some young gal is watching today maybe even a young boy right watching and saying Council President LaMonica McIver, you know what? I like what she has to say. I'm going to, maybe I want to be involved in civic engagement in some way. And then this segment, which is Inside Newark with Council President LaMonica McIver, will be a huge success. We look forward to you joining us each and every month and partnering with us. And thanks for today. Thank you so much, Doug. I'm looking forward to it. Remember to check out Inside Newark. Definitely something that you don't want to miss moving forward. Thank you. On Friday, November 17th at 8 p.m. as part of the TD James Moody Jazz Festival, there will be a special NJ Pack concert. Dave Grusin, A Life in Music, featuring Dave Grusin, Lee Rittenauer, Will Downing, Randy Brecker, Patty Austin, Jane Monheit, and the New York Voices. And joining us to talk about this wonderful event is Grammy Award-winning and legendary guitarist Lee Rittenauer. Now, Lee, this is really a celebration of GRP Records as much as it is Dave Grusin himself. Dave Grusin and Larry Rosen Productions, can you tell us about how being a part of the GRP family helped your amazing career? It was a good timing for everyone. I, I was already had uh, signed and been 
already for years with Electra Records and was used to more of a major label experience, right? And uh, GRP was this tiny little personalized jazz label starting out and Larry and Dave, especially Larry, kept uh, saying, Lee, you got to come on board. Come on, come on. This is going to be great, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I, you know, was used to uh, the visionaries at Electra Records, which, you know, I had a hit with Is It You? And Patrice Russian had a hit with Forget Me Nots. And uh, Grover Washington was there and a great president as well, Joe Smith. But once Joe retired, uh, then the label changed and went more pop and, and uh, GRP found an opening that a lot of the other labels uh, were not fulfilling. You and Dave Grusin obviously have a, a special relationship. What is it about Dave that makes him so powerful and magical? Well, you know, first of all, it was like when I was a teenager growing up in Los Angeles, and, uh, you know, my family was uh, living in L.A., and I was studying guitar, and I was totally into all the top guitarists at the time and there was a jazz guitarist that was not a huge name internationally but he was incredibly well respected his name was Howard Roberts and uh, and Dave worked on a number of his records along with some other people we knew and uh, so when Dave was doing TV shows like The Name of the Game and and a couple of these other shows there would be these chase scenes on the on the shows during the you know the, for the, in the on the TV shows and and uh, this composer named Dave Grusin was letting this guy Howard Roberts kind of improvise all this great jazz over the top of these chase scenes <laughs> and I was like 15 years old going wow that's Howard Roberts playing guitar like playing all this great stuff and but who's the guy that composed that that let him do that <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so i was uh, very inquisitive even at that age and and i kept saying seeing the same dave because he was I, I forget all the tv shows that he was involved with but it was quite a few at the time and then um uh, uh through another guitarist i met sergio mendes when i was about 18 and uh, started to work with sergio mendes uh on his records and Dave was very involved in Sergio Mendes at the time because Dave was the arranger and and sometimes the second keyboard behind Sergio on all those major hits that Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66 had back in the day. And a lot of people didn't even know that. And uh, so uh, through Sergio and, and Dave and Sergio and my friend Oscar Castroneves, a great guitarist with Sergio, everybody was around each other. And then I started playing at uh, uh, a jazz club in L.A. called Dante's, and then finally the Baked Potato, and Harvey Mason, another young up-and-coming incredible drummer that would later join us in foreplay, uh, he, uh, he said, hey, I've been working with this guy, Dave Grusin. He'll, I think I can get him to play with us at the Baked Potato and Dante's. I said, no. Nah. And, and Harvey asked him, and sure enough, uh, uh, you know, we we were able to uh, uh, get Dave and, and Dave and I hit it off and then I started working on Dave's movies and the rest is history and just uh, I was just on the phone with him a few minutes ago when you were trying to call me and uh, we just got back from Japan and Hawaii and, and did the I don't know the 200th tour together <laughs> that's so. amazing so when this event came up what will be different than say what you just did in Japan 
Well, there's more people involved, and like you said, it's a celebration not only of Dave Grusin, but of their label, GRP Records. The only one, unfortunately, missing it is, is Larry Rosen, the other co-founder who passed away several years ago. But uh, it's at NJPAC, and and, uh, and it's going to be a great event. And and uh, we've got, for a minute, Patty Austin was, was not going to be able to join us, and she was also very instrumental in... Uh, in the label and 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 uh then finally she cleared her schedule and she joined us and then along with the great will downing and then new york voices came on and jane monheit so uh it's going to be uh, a really fun affair and uh uh dave will be at the center of it what's different than not only is it bigger and there's more people involved but usually dave does some talking at our shows but i i primarily handle the mc aspect and kind of lead the band and and uh definitely he'll be doing that this time and, and of course he's a thousand percent capable of all, of all that <laughs> and the amazing thing dave is 89 and his chops are just and his clarity and his vision and and his sense of humor and just he, he is just one he's one of those guys that everybody talks about like you know he acts like he's 60 he's just he's so on it you know it's incredible it says something obviously about dave grusin when everybody comes back and you mentioned patty austin clearing your schedule and making sure he means so much to all of you so when you're all playing there together what's going to be going through lee rittenauer's mind as as you play at nj pack well just the incredible history that dave has had um with his life in music, you know, and, and it's an opportunity uh, in a capsule time of, uh, you know, two hours or so to, to, to walk through all this music, you know, and uh, Randy Brecker and Ernie Wass, the great saxophonist, who Ernie was another one who was a huge part of our, uh, uh, you know, musical story. And, and then, uh, Randy Brecker and his late brother Michael Brecker was also on GRP, so uh, it, it's it, it, it's just uh, you know it, it, it's a family affair for sure, and uh, you know Dave takes everything so seriously, I, and I guess I do too, and therefore we're always wanting to make sure that we're we've got the music organized and ready to go, and uh, and and sometimes I think he's. He's more comfortable on stage than he ever was uh, because, you know, for decades, he was so busy writing movie scores and television themes uh, and then part of GRP Records, producing records, that live playing was not necessarily uh, part of his uh, his diet, <laughs> if you will. And, and so these years with me, uh, when GRP Records now... Is, is no longer uh, totally, uh, you know, functioning as a label. Um, it was sold to Universal many years ago, um, and Larry passed away, and and uh, so that part ended. And and uh, but it, it Dave got more comfortable on stage with, you know, and, and having me there because uh, we co-bill a, a lot of stuff together. So. For him to do this at NJPAC, I, I think he'll be in his comfort zone because it's all, it's all fo- folks that he's very uh, familiar with. You mentioned 
Larry Rosen, who we lost in 2015. This partnership that he had with Dave Grusin and GRP Records, which obviously is named after both of them and the production company, what made those two work so well together? Well, that was a perfect uh, symbiotic relationship in the sense that Larry was a great engineer and and he was just excited about music and his vision and Dave's vision. And, and it was a perfect pairing because Larry was not, he, he was a, a jazz drummer at one point and he played professionally, but uh, he gave the drums up and and he, he got more into production and engineering. And this was even along with Dave on the side there, but he was doing other things uh, at his home in New Jersey at that time. And and then the two of them came together and, and Larry said, man, we should, we should do, you know, it was a good timing for sort of where traditional jazz was meeting more contemporary jazz. And uh, one of their first signings was Angela Bofill. And I think their second signing was Earl Clue. And, and uh, I can't remember if I was on Angie's first record. I don't think so. But uh, Earl Clue, we did his first record out in L.A., and I'm pretty sure I was on that. Speaking of records, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you came out with Dreamcatcher from your home studio in Marina Del Rey, California. I'd like to think of Lee Rittenauer as you can't keep a good man down. You had tragedy in 2018 when your house and studio that you and your wife owned in Malibu burnt down in one of the fires that ravaged California, then some health problems. But you came back so strongly. What, what, what just kept motivating you through a very difficult time in your life? Well, I think Dave and I share this, this part of us is that music is one of the, for me, is... It, how do I explain this? It, 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 it's the thing that keeps me healthy. <laughs> you know, there's such a love for it, such a love for the guitar and, and, and music and, and such a dedication to it that if I hadn't done a record at that time, then I would have fallen apart. And uh, so it, it, it was important to, to keep moving. And uh, now where I'm doing this interview from, I'm outside here in a secondary garage in Malibu at our brand new house that we just moved into very recently. So it took almost five years since the Woolsey fire in Los Angeles to uh, to put the house together uh, and, and have it uh, completed and, and moved into. And um, my studio is, uh, is, is, is one of the crowning achievements of the house. <laughs> Lee Rittenauer, the Grammy Award-winning and legendary guitarist, thanks for joining us on the WBGO Journal, and we look forward to this concert in November. All right, thank you. We'll see everybody there. Once again, the concert Dave Grusin, A Life in Music, will take place at NJPAC on Friday, November 17th. You can hear the entire interview with Lee Rittenauer at wbgo.org slash journal. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.